to More Living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Good morning, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and what an eventful week we've had We are still waiting for the election dust to settle. So today, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, where are we now? Where are we likely headed? And most importantly, how is this likely to affect you and me, especially when we look at our money and when we look at our financial planning and planning for retirement and all those things? You know, how is Washington going to look? What initiatives, policies, and bills could get passed in a lame duck session. What are we likely to see with stimulus? What does the 2021 session of Congress look like? You know, there are just so many unknowns. And today we have Ken Keyes. He's the managing director of the Federal Policy Group in D.C. He works with Congress, the U.S. Treasury Department, and the IRS to provide sophisticated strategic and technical tax advice on tax policy matters. And before Mr. Keyes got involved in the Federal Policy Group, excuse me, he was co-managing partner of the Washington National Tax Services Office of PricewaterhouseCoopers. And he prior uh, worked as Chief of Staff of the Congressional Joint Committee on Taxation back in the late 90s. So good morning, Ken. It's good to have you back with us. Hey, Jim. Good to be here. Absolutely. Hey, it's been kind of a wild season. I think anything goes in 2020, we've kind of found out, and we were expecting that the election week might be kind of crazy. Give us an update, Ken, on your perspective. We still don't have a winner. It's looking increasingly likely that it probably is going to be Joe Biden, but there are probably going to be some legal challenges. So give us your perspective on where things stand as of right now. Okay, so uh, let's... Let's talk about the presidential first. And there's five or six states here that you're right are going to. There's going to be legal challenges. There's going to be recounts. Um, so that includes Michigan, where Biden is up by 46,000 votes, with 99% counted. It, it includes Arizona, where only 90% of the votes have been counted, and Biden leads by 29,000. It includes Georgia where Biden leads by 7,248 votes out of about 5 million cast. That's really remarkable. Unbelievable. That is going to a recount. There's absolutely no doubt about that. North Carolina is a little weird because uh, with 99% of the vote in, Trump is leading by 76,000 votes. And for some reason, the AP and nobody else has called the race. And I, for the life of me, don't understand that. Um... And then finally, we have Nevada, where there's 87% of the vote is counted, and out of about 1.3 million, Biden leads by 22,000. Um, so, so clearly, that one can't be called yet. Um, just to give you an idea of how long this may drag out, uh, in 2016, 
weirdly, we had a recount by the Green Party candidate, Jill Stein, in Wisconsin. Um, so we have a little bit of an idea of how long these things take. And in th- that particular recount, and by the way, there's probably going to be a recount in Wisconsin, uh, that recount took all the way until December 12th. Um, this is all relevant because the Electoral College has a deadline to vote by January 6th under the Constitution. And so January 6th. January 6th. And and here's the amazing thing which almost nobody knows. If by January 6th there's still litigation and controversy and it's not possible to say either candidate has achieved 200 electoral votes, 270, that's the magic number. And right now, Biden's at 253. But that, if, if you had litigation and controversy, if you get all the way to January 6th and nobody's got 270, under a little-known amendment to the Constitution, the 12th Amendment to the Constitution, it, the race is thrown to the House of Representatives, and each state has one vote. And you might say, well, that's never happened before. Well, actually, it happened in 1801 and 1825, um, which shows you how smart our founding fathers were, because I think 1801 might have been the second or third presidential election. I'm not predicting this, but I'm, all I'm trying to tell you is we're not going to wake up tomorrow and everybody's going to say Biden's president of the United States. Uh, we learned just last night um, that uh, there's a computer glitch in one county in Michigan that through, I don't know, six or 7,000 votes, it should have gone to Trump, to Biden. And it turns out that same computer software is in 45 counties in Michigan. Um, Which is about half the counties, I believe. Is that right? That is correct. And, oh, and Jim, it's not only in 45 counties in Michigan. It's in a bunch of other states. Um, so uh, we're still in for a wild ride here. That That's the presidential at some point you should ask me about where we are in the senate because no i'm going to get there too i promise you i'm going to get there because i think that is critically important about whether we have a divided government or not and what the implications are all are for that moving forward we're definitely going to get to that um did you think ken that it could be this close in this many states you know i mean we, we we you know when we think back to 2000 in florida i mean that was one state that had an incredibly close vote, and we—I don't want to revisit all those details, but we're—you know—things are so murky in so many different states. I mean, I knew—I think people knew there was the potential for uh, things to be undecided at this point. But did you think it could be in this many states? Okay, good point, Jim. And and it is different from Florida because there are so many states. Um, I have to say I thought it was going to be close, but I will also say uh, other than one or two of the pollsters, all the others said it's going to be a landslide for uh, for Biden. And just between you and me, I wouldn't hire a pollster to change a light bulb at this point. I think about everybody probably agrees with that. It's crazy how inaccurate they've been now to two presidential election cycles in a row, and including the Senate and House races. Oh, they're disastrous. And Frank, Frank Lund, who's a Republican pollster, he flat out said our profession is ruined. Um, I mean, I nobody. It, it, yeah. 
I mean, it's terrible. But so, yeah, I actually thought it was going to be close. Um, but part of the reason I thought it was going to be close is when I looked at those Trump rallies, voter enthusiasm that Trump has is is off the chart. Um, so, but but you're right. A lot of people didn't see this coming, and this is this is different from 2000. This is a much much more complex. Now, Ken, when you uh, when you mentioned the the issue in Michigan that came out overnight with some uh, software glitch that maybe Republican votes or votes for Trump were counted for Biden, and how widespread is that? You know, there's been a lot of rumors and chatter online about what's going on. You know, is there has there been a lot of voter fraud? But I haven't really seen anything in terms of actual evidence of voter fraud. So. What's the difference in fraud and irregularities that people are seeing? And, and what have you been hearing on the ground in some of these different areas in terms of irregularities? Well, I mean, there's all kinds of allegations being thrown around, and that's probably unfortunate. Um, but to some extent, uh, some of these states are creating the problem for themselves. So like in Philadelphia, they wouldn't let poll watchers in to watch the vote counting, even though it's provided for by state law. And they put up paper, paper or close, or cover up the windows so they couldn't look in. And you just go, why are you doing that? I mean, well, people want transparency. It, it, yeah. And regardless so here, of what side of the aisle you are, you want transparency in our elections, right? Exactly right. But to answer your specific question, I think the allegations of voter fraud right now are unsubstantiated. However, um, when you discover something like this computer glitch, and keep in mind the, the vote, the margin that Biden has in Michigan is only 46,000. I believe in this one county it was a difference of 6,000, I believe. So you, you that's take. a big difference. Oh, 40 counties times 6,000, that's 240,000 votes. Um, yeah. So. Uh, you know, the process is going to go on here. Uh, fortunately, I think the courts, to the extent they get involved, are sensible. They don't accept reckless allegations of unsubstantiated voter fraud. They want facts. Um, and just last night, Alito, uh, uh, Justice Alito, uh, rendered a ruling in, I think, in the case of Pennsylvania that said, yeah, you have to let, um, you, you can't count certain ballots. I mean, I, I'm confident if... To the extent the courts, and the courts have already been involved, by the way, way before November 3rd. I mean, there was one ruling after another through the fall. But that, that they'll make the right decisions, and the decisions will be made on the facts, not based on wild allegations. We're visiting this morning with Ken Keyes. He is a Washington insider. He's managing director of the Federal Policy Group. And so he's really connected in the D.C. area, and we're talking about where we are. I guess... The main thing that I'm hearing from you, Ken, is this is probably going to drag on for a while. So even though everything in the media seems to be pointing that it's just any day now, Biden is going to be declared the winner, you think this is going to last for a while? I absolutely think it's going to last at least into December. Okay, so we're got it. We're in for a ride. It sounds like. Now you mentioned the the Senate, and that's very important too, because that affects maybe how we're governed in the future. With uh, who's in the you know, do we have a divided government? 
uh, and what does that really mean with tax policy and and you know with economic relief and a lot of these things. So we're visiting with Ken Keys. When we come back, we're going to talk more about what's going on there. And what does that mean for you and me and for your money as you do your financial planning? So stay tuned. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. You are listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. During the week, Jim is a financial advisor, an author and speaker with an MBA from the University of Tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives. You can reach Brogan Financial during the week at 865-862-6800 or on the web at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and we're visiting with Ken Keyes. He's Managing Director of the Federal Policy Group in Washington, D.C., and we're talking about where we are in the election, where we're likely headed, and what does that mean for you. Uh, I do want to mention I've got a new video up on my website called The Election, Federal Stimulus, and the Stock Market. How is all this stuff likely to affect your investments? We did quite a bit of research for that. And more importantly, how can you create a financial plan that mitigates the impact of short-term market volatility? If you go to my website at broganfinancial.com, click on resources and then Brogan University, and uh, that, that video will pull right up. We've got several other videos up there as well. You can also download sp- several guides that I've written uh, to bring you up to date as well. So do check us out, broganfinancial.com. Uh, Ken, let's do talk about the Senate. You know, there was a lot of talk of a blue sweep. It looks increasingly like the Senate will stay in the Republican hands, but there is a lot going on down in Georgia. Uh, I guess uh, technically, I think I don't think the race in North Carolina has been called. Where is the Senate now, and where do you think it's going to end up? Okay, so this is about as important a question about where things are going to go with tax policy as there is. So right now, it, it started out before the election, Republicans had 53 seats Senate in the Senate, and Democrats had 47. Uh, right now, it's 48-48 with the races that have been decided. And you're right, uh, there were a bunch of Republican races that the pollsters said were going to be real close, that were just blowouts. Uh, and one, for example... Susan Collins in Maine, um, they said she was going to lose by 10 points. She won by 10 points. So we're at 48-48 with four races to go. One of them is Sullivan in Alaska, who is he's almost certain to win that race. And the other, you mentioned North Carolina, which is Tillis. I don't understand why they haven't called Tillis. It's 99% of the votes in, and he's up with thousands of votes. So... It's most likely both of those go to Republican, which then leaves Georgia. And in Georgia, in order to win, you have to get over 50% of the vote. Purdue, there's, and there's two Senate races there because Johnny Isaacson resigned because of the illness, and Leffler, Kelly Leffler, was appointed to 
replace him. So in the Purdue race, Purdue at one point was at 50.03, but he just dropped below 50%, and most of the votes are counted. So that's going to go to a runoff January 5th. So the Leffler race was always going to a runoff because there were three or four, even 12 people running. Um, so both of those will go to a runoff January 5th. I can tell you most people in Washington, including the Democrats, uh, believe the Republic will win both of those runoffs. As history and, and all kinds of things. But let me tell you how much money is going to be spent there. It'll, like, blow your head up. Um, so, I would imagine everybody be pouring into Georgia. Oh, oh it'll be unbelievable. But assuming... Uh, they go the way, again, most everybody in Washington, including Democrats, think Republicans will control the Senate 52-48. Um, and at some point, you might want me to explain how significantly that affects what's going to happen or not happen in tax policy in 2021, because it, it will make all the difference if it turns out that way. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. So the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the personal side on personal income tax returns expires uh, January 1, 2026, and that has a lot of implications. Estate taxes get cut almost in half. Um, income taxes go back to where they were in 2017. Biden has said that he will repeal that, but only for people over 400000 of income. There's also been a lot of discussion about corporate income tax rates and increasing those. But, Ken, if there's a divided government, you know, and, and the House is going to stay with the, with the Democrats, even though they've lost some, some, uh, they've lost some seats there. So what, what are the implications here of getting anything done? Okay, so in terms of yeah, new laws, right? Okay, so um, thing I will say comp uh, to complement the Biden team is they were very transparent and detailed about the specific tax changes that they wanted to enact if they won, and and they assumed if they won that they were going to get control of the Senate. And, and by the way, that was the conventional wisdom all over Washington that whoever won the White House they were probably going to get the Senate. So the, the outcome we're looking at is not what everybody anticipated. But uh, the Biden people laid out a very detailed plan, and it was eye-popping. It would have increased taxes by 2 to $3 trillion over 10 years. It would have effectively made the estate tax rate high as 80%. It would have increased income tax rates to the level that if you added state income tax place just in California that the marginal rate would have been 69.1%. Um, it would... Have Ken, can I ask you a question on that? Uh, everybody knows that you don't increase taxes in a recession. So, I mean, I know we're probably, you know, going to see a divided government now, but, you know, that was the one part that I didn't really understand. Do you, do you think that there, if Biden wins the White House, there will be a push to go ahead and immediately increase income taxes for some people? Okay, let me answer that two ways. If, if Biden were to get the White House and have control of this, the answer is absolutely yes. His, his people have been out talking to groups and have clearly telegraphed that they were Increases effective January 1st, 2021, 
and their reasoning was that it wouldn't negatively impact the economy because they were only taxing people over 400,000 of income or over a million. And the negative consequences of that were going to be offset by dramatic stimulus spending programs, both in infrastructure and in more COVID. Yeah, they were clearly prepared to go forward and act this. And I believe if they had gotten control of the Senate, which it looks like they haven't, it would have been enacted by August of 2021, retroactive January 1st. Um, Now, now, having said that, if the Senate turns out the way we're predicting, none of this will happen. I mean, I, I, I believe we're more likely than not to have, like it or not, gridlock on the tax policy front. But gridlock's a lot better than what uh, the Biden campaign was proposing to enact into law. But that's that's why the outcome of the Senate election is like monumental in terms of where we go here. Well, let's. I want to ask you about that a little bit. So, you know, it, it's. America's, to at least from my vantage point, Ken, doesn't seem like it's ever been more divided than it is now. And I ask, now I'm 51, but I ask a lot of my clients who are in their 70s, and they say they can't remember a time where it was this divided. And the results of this election, to me, seem to be saying, you know, there, there's not just a huge mandate either way. And, and we've got these razor-thin margins. The, the, the House has become more razor-thin. The Senate will will become more of a thin margin one way or the other. Let's say it ends up 51 or 52 for the Republicans. Is is this going to – do you think a byproduct of this would be that uh, Washington, the two sides may actually come together a little bit more, or do you think it's just too polarized now? Well, I'd like to think you're right about coming together, but – I don't see it. And to to your point, are we more polarized than we've ever been? I don't think we have any Civil War veterans still left, so they can't share with us what it was like during the Civil War. But other than that, I've never seen the the polarization that we witnessed both in Washington and across the country. And it's amazing when when you look state by state at how Biden and Trump did. There are states that Trump won by a massive amount, and there are states that Biden won by massive amounts. And you just kind of scratch your head and say, "How can it be this so different?" But but there is there there are some developments in this election that are potentially game changers, and that is the Latino vote uh, came out very strong for Republicans, contrary to what Democrats were expecting, contrary to what uh, the polls were showing. And the other surprise is the number of women that Republicans have elected to the House of Representatives. Um, so there are there are some actual encouraging trends here. Um, and I, I hate to even raise what I'm going to because people will probably jump off their porch. But we need to start thinking about the 2022 election. And here's why. In 2022, Republicans have up 21 senators. Uh, Democrats will clearly look to try and take the Senate. And conversely, because of how well Republicans have done in the House races, better the, the pollsters were saying that Democrats would pick up five to 20 seats. It looks like 
of Republicans will pick up 10, and that therefore potentially be within 10 votes of taking control of the House. As a result, the 2022 elections, which are going to be around the corner before we know it, could both lead substantial changes. And, and let me just give you an important point here. If Republicans were to lose the Senate in the 2022 election and, and the Democrats were able to retain the House, that whole tax program that I talked about that was the Biden campaign tax program becomes a very live option in 2023. Um, so, uh, as, as depressing as it is to think that we're going to be talking about another election here, uh, it, it's yeah. going to be on us before we know it, and the consequences have dramatic consequences. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people just probably want to jump off their front porch here at about the 2022. But no, but you're right. That's very important to think about because we think about four-year terms for presidents, but the reality is tax policy could change more quickly than that. So the, the bottom line I'm hearing from you is tax policy more than likely, not li- not real likely to change in the next two years anyway. Uh, Ken, when we come back, I want to talk to you about where we are economically as we fight the effects of the pandemic and what is what are the long-term implications of what both Congress has been doing with stimulus, what are they likely to continue doing, and the impact of really some unprecedented Federal Reserve policy, and what are the long-term implications of all this? So don't go away. We're visiting with Washington insider Ken Keyes. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College. Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in. More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Hey, I've got my next class at the University of Tennessee through their adult education. It's Thursday, January the 28th and February the 4th. And if you go online, I don't think they've, they, they have not opened registration online with University of Tennessee yet. That's going to happen, I believe, later this month. But if you go online to my website at broganfinancial.com and click on classes, you'll see my upcoming class at UT and then also the one in in March at Pellissippi State Hardin Valley. And if you click on the Learn More, uh, you can actually sign up to be notified as soon as those classes go live uh, where they can take registration. So I would love to see you there. We are again offering the classes both in person and you can tune in virtually via Zoom, whichever you're most comfortable with and you feel like you'll learn the best. Uh, so that's uh, financial survival for retirement 
uh, you can go directly to financialsurvivalforretirement.com or you can go to my website at broganfinancial.com and click, click on classes. Uh, we're visiting with Ken Keyes. Uh, he is with, he is the managing director of the Federal Policy Group and works with Congress, the U.S. Treasury, and the IRS and in the D.C. area. And so we're just kind of getting his feel. We've talked about where we are with the election, where tax policy may go. Uh, let's talk, Ken, a little bit about where we are economically right now. Looks like we're going to end the year. When we look at debt to GDP, our federal debt, we're going to end the year uh, back w- about where we were, maybe even a little more than we were at the end of World War II. Um, I guess my first question is, uh, let's talk about stimulus first. Do you think it's likely that we'll see more economic stimulus in the lame duck session, or do you think it'll be January before we may see uh, additional economic stimulus? Well, the answer to that is going to depend on where the the two parties to the negotiation are willing to move, uh, specifically Pelosi and McConnell. And I highlight that there's been a negotiation going on for four months now between it was between Mnuchin and Pelosi, but Mnuchin was clearly aware of what McConnell would or wouldn't accept. And they made no progress in four months on two critical issues. How much aid to state and local government and whether to include a liability shield to protect these hospitals from being sued over the coronavirus issue. Connell is insisting on the liability shield and Pelosi, I believe, largely because of how close the Democrats are to the trial lawyers and organized labor, has absolutely refused it. And Pelosi has insisted on at least $500 billion of state and local aid, and uh, McConnell's been unwilling to go there. In four months, they didn't move the ball on either one of those issues. And we've only got a short time here between now and when Congress will adjourn the year, which is probably December 18th. I predict that because it's always reliable to predict Congress will adjourn the Friday before Christmas. Um, so I, I, I have to say I'm not real optimistic uh, that we're going to get a coronavirus deal. But what, what um, could sort of break things loose is if Biden picks up the phone and says, let's take whatever we get and we'll come back and do more in January and February. If, if Biden picks up the phone and makes that request, then I think we could be off to the races. But this liability shield issue is still is a very big uh, sticking point. Okay, so that's an interesting perspective. So, you know, because I, I do think whether it's in the lame duck session or in January, I do think we're going to get more stimulus. Um, and then I'm not sure that's going to get us through 2021, to be honest with you. I think we might need more stimulus later in 2021. So let's go back to my, what I was saying about the, uh, the federal debt. Where are you on this, Ken, in terms of the long-term implication of this? We are going to be in waters we have that, that we were, were similar in terms of after World War II in terms of the level of debt to GDP. Um, where do you see that going and how concerned are you that at some point, whether that's now or five or ten years from now, we see a very, very different tax system in the United States. Okay, so um, let me uh, begin 
uh, by pointing out how different our current situation is to World War II. In World War II, we, we did uh, have debt levels as a percent of GDP. Um, they were the highest in the history of the country at the time. And they were, were about where we are today. But the difference is the war was over in 1945. In 1946 and 1947, we ran the largest surpluses as a percent of GDP in history. And in other words, the debt came right back down. Very fast. You, very fast. When you look at the profile of where we're headed right now, it's straight up. And heading, I mean, and as, as, so debt as a percent of GDP right now is right around 100%. Um, by 25th, Congressional Budget Office projects we, we break 200%. And the alarming thing about that is a large portion of what we're adding to the debt is just interest on money we've already borrowed. So, so in other words, if you think about future generations, a large part of the federal government spending that they will be witnessing is to, to take care of stuff that was purchased in earlier years, not to provide uh, resources, health care, uh, food stamps, you name it, to, to the current generation. It's, it's just to pay off the credit card. Um, so my perspective is this is really alarming. And the only reason it's not worse is because the Federal Reserve has kept interest rates so low that we're able to borrow. Uh, the 10-year Treasury is around 2%, I think, right now. Um, and just by comparison, in August of 1980, when the prime rate hit 21.5%, the Treasury 11.3%. Um, I mean, that just it shows you how low rates are. Yeah, actually, the 10-year Treasury now is down under 1%. It's historically the lowest it's ever been in history. <clears throat> so, it's so, crazy. Jim, here's what I don't understand. Why have the seniors not surrounded the Federal Reserve with pitchforks to, to, to say, do you know what happened to my CD? Um, because uh, people on fixed income, with the interest rates as low as they are, are have taken a huge hit. Their disposable income. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, one of the things, Ken, I've talked a lot about on this program and in my classes I teach is, you know, I mean, low interest rates are great when you're when you're younger and when you're building a house or you're trying to expand a business and you want low cost of capital. But when you're a retiree and you're wanting to earn a more stable return than just being in the stock market, you know, and, and interest rates are so low. You know, it's a real challenge moving forward. And, of course, if interest rates go up eventually, then bond values do even worse. So we've talked about that a lot on this show. But, you know, I, I just think um, th there's some fundamental problems with the amount of debt. As you said, you're concerned because the debt is continuing to shoot up. All signs are that it will continue to shoot up. Also, you mentioned the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve policy has been quite aggressive. And there are a lot of ramifications to that, too. So how does that 
impact our economic reality now and where we may be headed. So, so stay with us. We're visiting with Washington insider Ken Keyes of the Federal Policy Group. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. listening to more living with jim brogan if you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again visit broganfinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement and now here's senior market advisor magazine's 2011 national advisor of the year and host of more living jim brogan Welcome back. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. We're visiting this morning with Ken Keyes. Uh, he is managing director of the Federal Policy Group and works in Washington, D.C. with Congress, the U.S. Treasury Department, and the IRS. Uh, if you've missed part of this show, uh, first off, we're on this afternoon, 3 to 4. We're excited about adding that extra hour. We'll also podcast this show uh, by Monday, you can go on broganfinancial.com, click on radio. You can listen to this show as well as old shows, as well as our dollars and cents segments that I do very, very often on this program. You can also find out our upcoming class schedule. Check out our resources as well as we've got Brogan University has been recently launched, which are some on-demand videos, little four or five-minute videos about important topics that can help you make informed and prudent decisions to impact the quality of your life. Ken, I was talking there before the break about the impact of, of the debt and, the, and, and uh, the Federal Reserve policy. I do want to get to a couple of real simple, hard-hitting things first, though, that our listeners. When we talk about the tax. You know, under the current tax code, one of the real gifts that we're given that many people don't take advantage of is the long-term capital gains tax rate. A lot of people are not aware that there is a 0% tax rate in the structure potentially for long-term capital gains. And for most people, the long-term capital gains rate is a tremendous tool in their financial planning. There's some great benefits. Death with the limit with uh, the step up in tax basis. Can you talk a little bit? You know, there's been discussion uh, from the Biden camp about doing away with some of those tax goodies. How important to you is tax planning in terms of how we locate our assets to make sure we can take advantage of long-term capital gains tax rates? Well, um, absolutely correct that there are significant tax benefits, and, and you've identified two of them that are very significant. Uh, the, the top rate on capital gain income, long-term capital gain, is 23.8% under current law. Uh, the Biden campaign would eliminate that preference and would tax it as ordinary income. Um, and that means that people, if they really think that in 2022 that uh, Democrats could get the Senate back, uh, and the Biden tax plan all of a sudden is operative in 2023, they need to think about in terms of their planning whether they take long-term capital gains in the next two years to lock in the benefits of that, depending on how the 2022 election turns out. And on, in terms of the step-up in basis at death, that's a huge tax benefit, um, 
so, so let me just, and, and Biden would eliminate it. Um, so let me just illustrate a simple example, a million dollar asset that has no basis. You leave it to your heir, the heir sells it, pays 40%, that's 400,000. But it's also includable in the gross estate. And if the gross estate has a tax rate of 40%, that's another 400,000. In other words, the combined tax burden on that asset is eight hundred thousand dollars, eighty percent. The Biden uh, tax plan would both raise estate tax rates and eliminate the step up in basis, which means people need to think about whether they want to use the current exemption level that's available. Which per, per to a spouse, two spouses, it's twenty three million dollars um, that you can pass to the next generation with no gift tax uh, and no estate tax, um, and and. But people may have the next two years to, to contemplate whether what what they want to do about those things, depending on how they think uh, the twenty twenty two election may turn out. Um, so, yeah, there's yeah tax tax planning to me, Ken, is is as important as just about anything we do. I mean, investing is important. Income, how we draw income in retirement. You know, just structurally and how we structure investments to support income is critically important. But minimizing taxes, you know, it's not how much you make, it's how much you get to keep. And, um, you know, tax planning to me, you have more control of your income taxes in retirement than in any other time in your life. Because in many cases, you choose where to draw income from. You choose how to realize capital gains. You choose how to invest money and what the tax implications are. So there's a lot of opportunities there. And you're bringing up, as I've been bringing up, the potential for changes in our tax structure. So to me, it's critically important for all investors uh, to, to look at tax planning. Yeah, and so let, let's talk about one positive development that could happen next year. Uh, R- Richie Neal, who's chairman of Ways and Means, and and the ranking member, uh, Congressman Brady, introduced an, a new pension bill a week or so ago, and it would it would raise the age at which you're required to start taking distributions out of qualified retirement plans to, I believe, 75. Um, and there's a lot of support for that reasons that are obvious people are living a lot longer um so that's some that's a piece of legislation that could actually move in a bipartisan way um so that's something for people to keep an eye on because when you take money out of your qualified retirement plan of course it controls when it's subject to taxation yeah no that's right that would be very welcome of course the secure act last december raised the age to 72 so uh, we've we've already been talking about it, you know that, that we had seen that proposal to maybe raise it to seventy five. So just and and that's the importance of staying on top of this stuff, uh, and, and you know understanding what the opportunities are now and what they may be in the future. Um, Ken, um, can we talk about corporate tax policy just quickly? We're almost out of time here. We just got about a minute and a half or so, but you know we had we had. You know, under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, Trump lowered the corporate tax rate, and Biden has talked about increasing the corporate tax rate. How big of a deal is this in terms of economic growth in the United States? Well, it's a really big deal because the reason we lowered the corporate rate is that we were so out of step with the rest of the world that capital was flowing out of the United States and going to be invested elsewhere. Um, And... Uh, the Biden uh, proposal would be to raise the rate from 21, where it is, to 28 <clears> percent. 
um, that won't happen in the next two years if the Senate remains in Republican hands, but it's still going to be threatened. And there's one other item, not in the corporate, but it's for pass-through businesses, and it's a 20% deduction for many pass-through businesses under what's called Section 199 Cap A. Um, that benefits 29 million taxpayers, and Democrats would dearly like to get rid of it as well. Um, so that's a, a, a tax benefit that was enacted in the 2017 Act that is very beneficial to many pass-through businesses, which is partnerships, limited liability sure. companies, sole proprietorship. See and how that impacts things economically. But um, you've been very, very generous with your time this morning. Unfortunately, we are out of time. But thank you for coming on. Well, I'm, I'm sure your schedule is as hectic or busy as it's ever been. But thanks, Tom. Thanks for taking time to join us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks, Jim. It's absolutely. That's Ken Keyes. That's been very enlightening talking about his perspective on where things are. Uh, especially with the election and with tax policy. He's the managing director of the Federal Policy Group in D.C. Thanks for tuning in. This week we've discussed the state of the entire United States because a greater country provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you to Chris running the board and thank you to Jill producing the show. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.